right, thanks, Scott Shannon. When you thought it couldn't get any crazier, any nuttier, any more insane, uh, buckle up because it's getting worse by the day. We're on a pardon watch today. Reports the president may issue between 50 to 100 commutations, pardons before his term ends. Tons of wide speculation. Uh, I, from what I heard from my sources, I don't think any final decisions have been made speculation that he will pardon himself or his family or both or uh i guess lil wayne on is on the list and uh julian assange is on the list why don't we bring christopher Steele over from great britain instead of somebody that exposes secrets you don't want why don't we do that christopher Steele actively worked and admitted to the fbi working Uh, on sabotaging our election and manufacturing a lie to help Hillary distract from her email problem. Unbelievable. Priorities are messed up. Steve Bannon on the list. I I don't know who's, I have no idea, but I just heard they haven't even fully completely decided. We'll get to that. Uh, We have a lot of Hunter laptop news. Uh, The guy, the repairman, uh, has now been posting a few videos online. And by the way, he'll join us on Hannity tonight on the Fox News channel. We'll get to that. Um, But I will tell you, these are beyond troubling times. And I just, I never thought we'd be ever debating some of the things that we are debating with such a breathtaking level of pure hypocrisy, such double standards, such inconsistencies. I never thought that that would happen. Never thought we'd be in a, in a country where they now will silence and shut down any postings of the president of the United States for crying out. Well, that happened with, with Twitter. And you look at the two tweets they cited. I'm like, uh, sorry, there's there's nothing that would you could even say is an incendiary here. But that's what they claimed. Now, of course, writers and book agents and publishers signing Literally signing these petitions to prevent any publisher from ever giving Donald Trump a book deal. They did that to Josh Hawley successfully. Well, now he's got a new publisher. And when his book comes out, it'll probably be bigger than it would have otherwise been. By the way, on this very issue, just so happens. And then you got Joe Manchin. Well, we got to consider removing Senator Hawley and Cruz from Congress using the 14th Amendment because they called for a 10 day audit. Well, I actually have gone back and I have a history of every Democrat that ever challenged election results, including 2016, 17, 2000, 2001, 2004, 2005, just in in the modern political era. I pay attention to that. Andrew Yang demanding the federal government regulate which guests can appear on any given program. Well, who's going to decide that? Who's going to be the decider of, well, that's not enough conservative viewpoint. That's not enough. Well, that would never happen. That's 99 percent of the media that is co-opted by the hard, radical socialist left. And it's basically all but an extension of all things Democratic Party, socialist, extreme, radical, new Green Deal agenda. Then you've got, you know, you got a musician. I never heard of the guy. Anyway, dropped from his record label because he went to the president's rally on January 6th. And by the way, he never went to the Capitol. He went back to his hotel room, probably opened up his mini bar and ordered room service. I mean, it is, you know, if you look at the double standard, I mean, we'll keep playing it of every single 
liberal Democrat from Schumer to Pelosi to Joe and Kamala and, and straight on down the line. People that have challenged election results and people that have used incendiary language and nobody seemed to ever have a problem with it. And now it's now it's taken on this whole other level. I thought it was like, OK, one crazy lawyer at PBS caught on tape what supporting the government taking your children and sending them the re-education camps for the children of Trump supporters where they can watch PBS all day. He's on tape saying it. Who even thinks like that? Never mind. Say it. He got fired. MSDNC, Washington Post columnists wondering how many millions of mostly white, mostly Republican voters could be deprogrammed. This is now the new task, the new modern liberalism. Are you, have you ever been a Donald Trump supporter? So-called journalists, she's not. Katie Couric, similar question this weekend. We played it yesterday. According to the the press wing of the Democratic Party, we, the people, we all need to be deprogrammed and put in re-education camp or just outright canceled because we don't share the same political views as they do. Broad sweeping generalizations. I never did that to the FBI or the Intelligence Committee. We've been over backwards to distinguish between those that we believed abused power and were corrupt and exposed to be such in great detail and the 99% of good people in those organizations. We talked about the police officer in the George Floyd case, but we distinguished between that officer and other officers and the 99% that risked their lives to, to protect and serve their cities and communities. Well, the same would go for the rioters over the summer. That did not represent the 99% of people that were protesting peacefully or those that, that, you know, invaded the Capitol on January 6th. That was not the vast majority of people. Never mind Donald Trump's, Trump said that day, so many of you will peacefully and patriotically uh, march to the Capitol and let your voices be heard. That's pretty clear. Now over at fake news CNN, this is now rhetoric that comes up all the time. They actually brought on a cult expert now what's fascinating about it the guy's name is steve hassan and mr hassan is a former member of quote i'm reading from one of the articles about it on foxnews.com uh unification church cult they call it who wrote a book on how he believes trump uses mind control to sway his most devoted fans and he expressed fear of possible violence from trump supporters after his election loss well, why didn't any prominent Democrats speak out about the rioting, the looting, the arson, the assault on police officers, the burning of police precincts, the taking over of police precincts, the attempts to burn down court buildings and and everything else we saw last summer? Same people were shockingly quiet. So this is a guy who's admitting he was in a cult at the time himself. So he claims and you have now it even it got worse. This now narrative advances, and over at the View, what's her name? Sonny Hostin. I don't know how to pronounce her name. How do you pronounce her last name? Anybody know? Hostin. Okay. Well, anyway, she's out there saying, you know, it was defense is going to be this is a witch hunt. This is a witch hunt against me. So of course I could try to pardon myself because everyone's out to get me. And guess what? Seventy-four million people believe that because they have been brainwashed, Joy. I believe they've been brainwashed by this misinformation campaign over fake news. CNN. Don Lemon 
every Trump voter is a Nazi and a Klansman. And then doubled down on it the next night. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, you know, this deprogramming rhetoric. What happened to the unity calls from Mr. Biden? You know, Ocasio-Cortez, I have demanded the resignations of Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley and Kevin McCarthy. Well, Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz, what is their crime? That they wanted a 10-day election audit, something that prominent Democrats have done numerous times in our lifetime. In her lifetime, Washington Post publishing a column calling on cable companies to shut down Fox News, Newsmax, OAN, incited because they incited sedition. Now, do they refer to any specific words? Of course not, because they can't. Yep, I mean, there's the headline, Washington Post. Trump couldn't have incited sedition. Without the help of Fox News. Well, I'm going to play all their rhetoric and remind everybody, especially Mitch McConnell. I think Mitch McConnell has, you know, we'll talk about that in a second. Josh, you Hawley, cannot be civil with a political party that wants to we'll play this all dist- in good time. I'm going to get to this all. I promise. You know, the media, the slant the, the people, the mob and the media Democrats slamming Republicans because they rightly praise Martin Luther King Jr., Op-ed, Daily Beast, Republicans keep Dr. King's name out of your mouths. Andrew Sullivan, he wrote a piece ripping the New York Times for calling Black Lives Matter riots isolated instances of property destruction. Not quite. Stevie Wonder is uh, yesterday urging the Biden to establish a truth commission. Well, who will be the arbiter of their truth? And then still parlor is shut down. I mean, this, th- these are just the headlines. You got far left actress Deborah Messing threatening news networks if they even hire or interview Kaylee McEnany. Well, I guess we'll have to bring Kaylee McEnany back on. And let's see what happens then. Then it's going to be shut down talk radio. I've, I told you this has been going on for pretty much all of my career. And now we see an acceleration to silence, shut down and push out of the way any and all opposition voices in the country. Now, if you look at the radical rhetoric, I'll spend time during the course of the program, and we'll go over, I'm going to go and take Trump out tonight, Maxine Waters said, and, and that's on top of everything. Let's show up wherever they are. If you see anybody in a cabinet, in a restaurant, department store, gas station, you get out there. You have members of your cabinet. You push back, you get a, you create a crowd. You tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. We're going to play it all today. I'm like, really? By the way, speaking of conceding elections, what about Stacey Abrams? Well, she said she refused to concede her election. She's a star of the Democratic Party. Concession in the political space is an acknowledgement that the process was fair. And I don't believe that to be so. She's a hero in the Democratic Party. Want more rhetoric or threats? I'll tell you, Gorsuch. I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, this is Chucky Schumer. You know, you have released a whirlwind and you're going to pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. Well, and he agreed that there had been a lack of reporting about protests. Kamala Harris, they're not going to stop. This is after the Minneapolis police station burned down and the rioting in the city. Right after that. Not going to stop. This is a movement. She goes on. They're not going to stop. 
They sh- and everyone take note. Beware. On both levels, they're not going to let up, and they should not, and we should not. Or Joe Biden, I'm going to take you behind the gym and beat the living hell out of you. You know, or Eric Holder, we go low, we kick them. They go low, we kick them. You know, you got uh, Congressman Ted Lieu. Yeah, uh, there'll be widespread civil unrest if Trump ever fired Mueller. And it goes on. James Clapper saying Trump firing Mueller resulted a firestorm in the streets. Cory Booker, get up in the face of Congress people. Hillary Clinton, you can't be civil with a political party that wants to destroy what you stand for. Now, keep all of this in mind when we talk about Mitch McConnell. Because I don't remember Mitch McConnell ever being critical. But today he's critical of Donald Trump. And and to me, just signaling that he's going to go along with this latest shift show in the U.S. Senate. Republicans should not. First of all, this unconstitutional action would be to have a a post-presidency impeachment trial. Mitch McConnell, is he signaling here that that's what he wants to do? Sounds like it. Republicans need new leadership. These guys have been there forever. And frankly, you know, the Republican Party, what Trump did is give them some, you may not like the guy's style, but he made promises and fought like hell to keep the promises he made. And he kept most of them. That's so rare in politics. So I'm reading Mitch McConnell and his comments from earlier today, blaming Trump for having provoked the, the mob on Capitol. No, what the president said that day and words matter, Mitch. I mean, it's uh, he said people, many of you will peacefully and patriotically march to the Capitol to allow your voices to be heard. Now, when Maxine Waters said, I'm going to go out and take Trump out tonight, I don't remember Mitch McConnell speaking up. When Maxine Waters, we're going to show up, and and if you see anybody from the cabinet of Trump in a restaurant, department store, gas station, you get out and create a crowd. Push back. You tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. Where was Mitch McConnell? Where was Mitch McConnell when Schumer threatened Gorsuch and Kavanaugh? You released the whirlwind and you're going to pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. And then um, the senator agreed there's a, a been a lack of reporting about the protest and not going to stop. This is Senator Kamala Harris. This is a movement not going to stop. And by the way, after the burning of the police precinct in Minneapolis and the rioting there. Take note. Beware. Both levels. They're not going to let up. They shouldn't let up. Where was Mitch McConnell? Where's Joe? Where was he criticizing Biden? When I ta- I'm going to take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. Where was Mitch McConnell when just in the last week, Biden compared two of his Republican senators that all they wanted was an audit of, uh, you know, being Nazis. Or when Nancy Pelosi... Where was he then when she accused uh, our our FBI ICE agents, etc., of being stormtrooper under the guise of law and order? Wow, where was he then? Quick break, right back. We'll continue. All right, twenty-five till the top of the hour. Eight hundred nine four one. Sean, if you want to be a part of this program, so you know, let me tell you, the Democrats have their intramural politics going on. And so do the Republicans. And it's, it's as clear as can be with Mitch McConnell 
And if we're just going to be honest here, there is a divide between the Republican establishment and the 75 million people, which was by far a record of any Republican presidential candidate that voted for and support Donald Trump is just now on principle in terms of words and things that we've been told over the many, many years that the Republican Party stands for. You know, what we learned is a lot. I, I think the the worst lesson we all learned is after all those years of promising to repeal and to replace Obamacare, when it really mattered in 2017, we learned that House Republicans, Senate Republicans didn't mean it. And even a straight repeal bill that had been supported by, what, six, seven Senate Republicans uh, back in 2015, the, the same exact wording, the same exact bill, except this time the president, Donald Trump, at the time, at, at, at just becoming in office, just coming in office, would have signed it. A straight repeal bill. Then why did the Republicans, why did they not sign on to it? Because it's everything that this one, it's the main reason I'm not a Republican. Because it's just all talk and it's all, there's no action behind it. and. You know, when they I, it was I'm like, wow, how do you do that? I mean, there were 65 or so show votes in the House. We're going to repeal. We're going to replace when the time came in 2017. They didn't repeal and they didn't replace. And they weren't even ready with the with the plan that I would have. I could have easily given it to them. We've been discussing patient power, a Cato Institute book for what Goodman and Musgrave. I forget what his name is. And then Dr. Josh down in Wichita, Kansas, and healthcare cooperatives, concierge care for very little money, 50 bucks a month in his facility in Wichita. I mean, it's such a great system. There are ways to thread this needle, better care, more access, um, more lower, lower pharmaceutical costs on top, pre-existing conditions covered, catastrophic plans associated with it, just so many different ways to do it. They weren't ready. And it's because the Republican Party became static, weak, and and visionless, and their words me meant nothing. And in part, I've said it many times, that is why Donald Trump beat 16 other Republicans that were well-known to get the nomination for 2016. Because Republicans, they, they didn't have a backbone. Their knees buckled. They were weak, visionless, spineless. You know, it's it's it, they, they became pathetic. And many of those same people still are. And there are people within this establishment and Mitch McConnell's the king of the Washington establishment. And many of these same establishment figures, they, they think with Donald Trump out that they're going to reestablish their stronghold on the Republican Party. I don't see that happening. And it's because of their lack of action their broken promises, their lack of vision of what conservatism is. Say what you will about Donald Trump. Say what you will. History, I, I think this presidency, for so many different reasons, will probably be written about and studied for hundreds of years and, because it is a phenomenon. And nobody expected, everyone's laughing at the idea that he would even run, never mind win, didn't think it was possible, but please get in, ha, 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 ha. You know, from everybody from late night comics to Obama himself. I think the only one that said Donald Trump was Ann Coulter. 
I, I know now is, you know, a lot of disagreements with Trump for whatever reason she has. That's up to her. But Republicans, the establishment never fulfilled promises. They never did. The closest we got, well, we got close twice. Reagan in 80 and Newt Gingrich in 94. Those were the two times the advancement of real conservatism. Newt was hated by the establishment. And the term amiable dunce was given to Ronald Reagan. There's a new Showtime series. It's worth watching if you feel like it about Reagan. And and but Republicans labeled him an amiable, amiable dunce, whatever it was. And that's what they said, because they didn't like it. McConnell, if I remember correctly, supported Gerald Ford over Reagan. And and Republicans were warning, oh, the California cowboy, oh, he's too conservative. Now, now it gets quoted by every Republican, but those are words. Actions matter. The the words of the president on January 6th matter. Now, if there had been some intellectual honesty and consistency over the years from Mitch McConnell, well, then I say, well, he's being consistent because he said the same thing about Maxine Waters when Maxine said, I'm going to go and take Trump out tonight. And talked about, you know, wherever they are, show up. You don't want it anymore, anywhere. Or Chuck Schumer. I'm telling you, Kavanaugh and Gorsuch, you've released a whirlwind. You're going to pay the price. Woo. Or Kamala Harris's comments after the Minneapolis riots. Or Joe Biden's, I'd like to take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. Imagine if any Republican ever said this. When they go low, we kick them, Eric Holder says. Or Ted Lieu, there's going to be widespread civil unrest. I don't remember McConnell a single time, not one, ever, saying, oh, that, that, that what, what was happening was provoked by Kamala or Joe or Schumer or Pelosi calling our FBI and, and calling our ICE agents and Border Patrol agents, you know, Nazi stormtroopers. I just don't remember. And it, it wasn't the only time that it happened. You know, all these all these Democrats get up in the face. I don't remember him going after Cory Booker or Hillary Clinton or or any of these people. You know, if uh, Congresswoman Presley, you know, she said, make the phone call, send the email, show up. You know, there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there's unrest in our lives. Trump said many of you are going to peacefully and patriotically march to the Capitol and that you're going to let your voices be heard. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, but this is now the Republican Party. Now, I'm going to break it down as simply as I can. And Reagan, in his time for choosing speech, his famous speech, he raised the rhetorical question. He said, is it a third party we need Meaning the Republican Party, is their time come and gone? And his answer was was the following. He said, no. He said, it's a revitalized second party, meaning the Republican Party, with no pale pastels, but bold colored differences. That's what Reagan said at the time. And Reagan lost to Ford in 76. Ford lost the race. Carter, you know, pushed the economy and the country down the sewer. And Reagan you know, won in 1980 and became president and governed conservatively, lowered taxes, eliminated, you know, we had the longest period of peacetime growth in, in, uh, in history. 
economic growth, 21 million new jobs created, double-digit inflation, double-digit unemployment, all shattered by Reagan. The only one to beat that record was pre-corona Trump. What is, you know, what, what did Trump, what was the Trump agenda? If we were going to say, what is the Trump agenda? And did he keep his promises? And did he fight to keep his promises? He had to fight every step of the way, in part, dragging, kicking, and screaming Republicans behind him. There were, when we were exposing the Russia collusion fraud day in and day out, I can tell you between my, my radio team and TV team and our ensemble cast, and those members in Congress, I've counted them, maybe 25, 30 people tops going up against the biggest lie, hoax, conspiracy theory in history. I don't recall ever hearing Mitch McConnell ever talk on behalf of the president. Let's be frank. I can tell you honestly, McConnell hates Donald Trump. And so from McConnell to go along with this unconstitutional, which is what he's signaling here, saying that Trump provoked the violent mob that stormed the Capitol, he's basically signaling that he's going to go along with this unconstitutional post-presidency impeachment shift show, the latest in what has been a never-ending series of attacks to just destroy Donald Trump. But what did Donald Trump stand for in terms of what were his policies? What is it that... That got 75 million Americans to go vote for this guy, and no other Republican in history ever had a movement like it. It's simple. I can tell you his agenda. It's America first, an American first agenda. Start there. He believes in cutting taxes because taxes are too high and government spends too much. Did he make the promise? Yes. Did he fulfill it? He did. Did he end the bureaucracy, ending burdensome bureaucracy so the stranglehold on businesses in this country goes away so they can do what they do best because they're spending millions and millions of dollars a year and they can't compete in an international marketplace? He kept that promise. The president, 450 miles, new wall. If you want to go check it out yourself, he recently was down in Texas showing off and saying, I kept my promise. Energy independence, Keystone XL pipeline, Anwar, uh, Dakota pipelines, all by Trump, increased fracking. Another promise made, another promise kept. There's a reason that Reagan and Trump had one big effect on the economy, and that is more job creation than, than ever before. 21 million new jobs created during the Reagan eight years. In the Trump years, the lowest um, the lowest unemployment rate for African-Americans, Hispanic-Americans, Asian-Americans, women in the workplace, youth unemployment, African-American youth unemployment. There's a reason. Part of it's immigration. Part of it's getting rid of the burdensome bureaucracy. Part of it's freeing up money for businesses. Part of it's lower taxes, stimulating the economy. All of which, you know, Reagan doubled revenues in the time he was president by cutting taxes. Anyway, so... What else does he believe? What is the Reagan? Uh, what is the Trump doctrine, for example? Well, I think it's simple. It's peace through strength like Reagan coupled with I'm not getting involved in foreign entanglements. And I'll talk to anybody. There's no harm in talking, meaning Kim Jong Un, for example. But when he talks, you know, he has strength. You see the saber rattling out of Iran now as they re up their nuclear and uh, their uranium enrichment programs. You see. What North Korea is saber rattling. You see what China and and Putin, hostile regimes, hostile actors, what they're doing now. 
and, uh, you know, trying to capitalize on America's stupidity, which Biden has signaled we're not going to we're going to cut back on energy production in the country. And he's going to go along with this Green New Deal madness. That's pretty much peace through strength. Get out of foreign entanglements. Okay, now, if Republicans would just fight for that agenda, lower taxes, less bureaucracy, constitutional justices on the court, free and secure borders, you know, in other words, protecting our borders, energy independence, better trade deals that Trump negotiated, peace through strength, building up our nation's military, and that's all conservatives want from any Republican. But when they have power, they never do it. And that's been the problem of the establishment wing of the Republican Party. And the oddest thing in this is now that Trump gave them a backbone and a spine, you don't have to like everything about Trump. You don't have to. I understand people hate his style. I get it. I'm not I'm from New York. I have, you know, I don't have this, this, I don't feign moral outrage when people say stuff. I think half of it is phony and fake and nobody's really outraged at all. You know, I never supported these efforts to silence people or voices ever. That's amazing how liberals do. But I'll tell you right now, if if this is the McCon- if this is the Republican Party of Mitch McConnell, I'm not interested in that party. I am already a registered conservative. And frankly, you know, considering he's the king of the Washington establishment, now that he wants to, because he's a personal vendetta for whatever reason that he has against Donald Trump, because he never applied the same standards to Maxine Waters, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, Kamala Harris. If he did, I'd say, you know, like Mitt Romney, for example, he never cared about zero experience hunters, millions of dollars from Burisma or the real quid pro quo with Joe. If he had, okay, then I'd say at least he's consistent. He wasn't. Or any of the other people that we've been playing, Eric Holder, Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, Ted Lieu, Cory Booker. I mean, so many, I can't even name everybody that said, you know, you know, these 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 calls for for violence are defined as the media mob, the new favorite word insurrection. So it's just time for a new majority leader. It's that simple. If that's what he if that's where he wants to take the party, I look. There's a battle of ideas, and if the Republican establishment thinks going back to the day and age of weakness and not keeping promises and just speaking words that they think conservatives want to hear, I don't think it's going to work. Didn't work for Romney, didn't work for McCain. I think that if people are looking for real conservative leadership. It's a simple vision. It's not complicated. Get the government, lower taxes, less bureaucracy, secure borders, energy independence, uh, constitutionalists on the court, better trade deals, and peace through strength. Not hard. All right, as we continue, glad you're with us. Hour two, Sean Hannity show. President is uh, given and will be released soon the his farewell address. Um, there is a huge now anger that has emerged. Now, we've gone through all of the things that have been said Recently, recent years, by the likes of Maxine Waters, I'll take Trump out tonight. And then I've got getting there. We don't want him anywhere, anywhere. Get in their faces, create a crowd, show up. Anybody in a cabinet you see or Chuck Schumer threatening Kavanaugh, threatening Gorsuch. 
You have released the whirlwind. You're going to pay the price. You won't know what hit you. Wow. Kamala Harris, what she said after Minneapolis, that they're not going to stop. Take note of that. And they shouldn't stop. This is a movement. And beware. They're not going to stop. It shouldn't stop. And we shouldn't stop. Or Biden, I'm going to take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. Where was Mitch? Eric Holder. When they go low, we kick them. Well, that was very loving and kind, and etc. Ted Lou saying that it, you know people should take to the streets, and there should be if Trump fired Mueller, there'll be widespread civil unrest. Where was Mitch? Cory Booker, activists, get up in the face of these Congress people. What about when the when the calls came? To call Nancy Pelosi calling our FBI, ICE agents, Border Patrol agents, stormtroopers. You've got to be kidding me. Ken Cuccinelli rightly said they could probably sue. You know, unbelievable. When you're in the arena, you got to be ready to take a punch and be ready to throw a punch. Nancy Pelosi. Congresswoman Presley, squad. This is much about public outcry, organizing, mobilizing, applying pressure, make the phone calls. You know, I, I just, Linda just said it as we were going to break. You know, ditch Mitch as minority leader, whatever he is now. I mean, because if he, there's no intellectual honesty or consistency. What this is is establishment hatred for all things Donald Trump. Or else, why wouldn't he have applied the same standards to these Democrats? That he's now applying to Trump. Where was he this summer? I don't remember him. I don't coming out loudly denouncing the violence and calling out the the Democrats in the Senate and House for being so silent. I think it's time they should have new leadership. Mitch is the king of the Washington establishment. Washington establishment will now try and reassert their control over the over the Republican Party, and I don't think in the end this is good for the party because what we learned with Obamacare, for example, is they're all talk, no action. 65 show votes to repeal Obamacare, a straight repeal bill in the Senate. Two years later, when it mattered, seven senators, Republican senators, wouldn't do it. When Trump was ready to repeal, they wouldn't do it in in the House. They had the majority, didn't get it done. Joel Pollack, editor-at-large and in-house counsel, Breitbart News. John Solomon, editor-in-chief of JustTheNews.com. Thank you both for being with us. Joel, um, I, you know, I see the look, the Democrats have their factions, although they seem to have pretty much aligned behind the radical left pretty completely and co-opted that agenda. And then you have this, the establishment Republicans, they... I don't know what they don't like. They said that they were for limited government, lower taxes, less bureaucracy, secure borders, energy independence, conservative justices. I don't know why they'd be against better trade deals. And they always said peace through strength. That's the Trump agenda. Why would they be against it? Well, there are many people in the Republican establishment who disliked the Trump agenda because it cut at the foundations of so many powerful interests in Washington that are necessary for the fundraising, necessary for the power and influence of the politicians, the parties, the lobbyists. Basically, Trump went after their industry, and their industry is government and influence. 
I was just reflecting today on the fact that so many government agencies that have so much access to the private sector were against Trump, the CIA, for example. I, you know, more than 50 former intelligence officials claimed that Hunter Biden's laptop was Russia disinformation. And just think about that. That was just a few months ago. We're in this age where everyone's talking about conspiracy theories and how damaging they are. Nothing happened to those former intelligence officials. They weren't deplatformed or canceled or censored. But that shows you how deeply ingrained the opposition to Trump was and remains in Washington. Trump went after that. Trump went against the old consensus. And I think that many establishment Republicans are rushing to reestablish that consensus, rebuild their ties with K Street, with Foggy Bottom, and uh, with Langley. And, and so there are some forces that are consolidating behind the Biden administration. You might expect to have been more loyal to the Republican electorate, but there are going to be some establishment Republicans who side with Biden. John Solomon, uh, I want to get your take on that, but more importantly, we've been awaiting this document dump. Now, the president, uh, we're we're taking in and taking his uh, farewell address. We'll play it, I guess, at the bottom of the hour to make sure people can hear it if you want to uh, stay with us, of course, and I hope you do. Um, But we've been waiting for this document dump, and you have a bunch of other news uh, we have booked. I'm going to be taping an exclusive interview with the Hunter Biden laptop repairman. I, I think we're going to air it Thursday night. Um, this guy's pretty amazing, and his story is pretty profound. And the attacks on this guy were unprecedented. There were. And listen, he tells the story of two justice systems. How many times have we heard that over the last four years? The FBI was willing to let Christopher Steele walk in with all the red flags already in Christopher Steele's file that he he might have been compromised by Russia, uh, give a dirty dossier pill, uh, paid for by Hillary Clinton and sustain a two-and-a-half-year investigation. When John Paul McIsaac's father first went to the FBI in July of 2019 and said, I have this hard drive, I think there's some criminality on it, the FBI in, uh, in uh, New Mexico turned him down, said, we don't want it. And then they came back only when impeachment raised the temperature on the Biden family. What a remarkable example of the FBI acting two different ways when involving two different political figures. It's the story of this last four years. There are two justice systems. And every time we look at it, I think John Paul McIsaac will be on your show. We'll be able to tell you the story of how his dad tried to raise this and the FBI turned it away. Do you see in the release of these documents any urgency? I mean, are we ever going to get a Durham report, Durham indictments, Based on what we know now, I think if I was him, I could indict many people. Yeah, listen, I've confirmed with the FBI, uh, senior law enforcement officials inside the FBI and the Justice Department and the White House, that the declassification is completed. I don't know what the holdup is in the documents. I think there's some markings and deletions going on and just sensitive stuff. But we should get the documents tonight. I'm hopeful uh, they should have been released months ago, but we should get them tonight. On the Durham investigation, there's been an enormous amount of court activity, grand jury activity, negotiations going on. But again, only one indictment in 18 months. We, uh, d- d- by it's been longer than it's been four years, John. I mean, yeah, yeah but, but three years we've in- investigated this to death. The inspector general's yeah. reported many referrals that nobody followed up on. Yeah, listen, it's it's extraordinary that uh, a first-year law school student could make some of the cases that have not yet been made. And, uh, you know, it, again, it goes back to the idea that there's a dual justice system in America. We are aggressive on one party and have been uh, anti-aggressive and slow in either holding the bureaucracy or the other party with the same accountability. And until the American people speak, I, I fear this system goes on. It persists.
I mean, that, that is that is just a sad tragedy for the country because it's just going to get worse and embolden people to do more of this, uh, these deep state actions. You know, and I want to get back to the, the issue of the Republican Party uh, and Mitch McConnell. Why, why was he silent when all these Democrats said all these outrageous incendiary things? Um, I don't remember and I don't recall Mitch McConnell ever saying a word. And it seems to me that this is Mitch McConnell's attempt at trying to uh, get the establishment back, quote, in charge of the old Republican Party and bring that back to fruition. But I think that's been widely rejected by almost by 75 million Republicans, Joel. And uh, I do think there's time for new leadership in the Senate. And he didn't do a particularly good job, in my opinion, in Georgia. Yeah, you bring up a great point. I am not taking a position on this one way or the other, just observing that in most countries, when you lead your party into an election and you lose seats, you resign and you let another leader take over. Nancy Pelosi didn't do it in the House, even though she led her party to a historic defeat in the 2020, uh, excuse me, 2010 Tea Party wave. And as a result, she's had an iron grip on power. I think the country has suffered for that, even though she came back into the Speaker's office in 2018. I don't know if it serves the Republican Party well to just assume that whoever is in charge of the Senate, or the House for that matter, just stays in charge whether they win or lose. The losses weren't just in Georgia. There were states like Arizona where Mitch McConnell handpicked the candidate, and the candidate still lost. I mean, nothing against Martha McSally, who's an outstanding public servant and a veteran and so forth. But McConnell chose candidates who lost in many places, and as a result, he will no longer be the majority leader in the Senate. And that's usually a situation in most democracies where the party leader steps aside so that someone new can take over. I'd like to think that that's something Republicans are talking about, but it doesn't seem to have come up. John, is it you have on the Democratic side, it looks like the new Green Deal socialist extremists have co-opted all their leadership and that there's great fear among their leadership. Republicans now, for example, do you think most rank-and-file Republicans uh, voted for Trump or voted for, quote, the Republican Party? Yeah, that's a very interesting thing. We asked a poll this week, and more people uh, who identified conservatives said they identify more as Republicans than as MAGA nation people. Uh, So that's an interesting finding in a poll. Uh, That said... You know, there's no doubt that the Republican Party of 2021 has been vastly reshaped by Donald Trump, his policies, his successes, and the coalition that he built. No Republican Party managed to get 75 million uh, votes prior to this election. And there is a massive new influx of voters. And the opportunity now is for someone else to step up to the mantle, continue to keep that coalition together and to grow it because the policies that Donald Trump set in motion in the last four years have attracted newcomers to the Republican Party. And as Joel said, may have sent a couple of the traditional Republicans over to the Biden side, the, 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 uh, the war hawks maybe going over there and other people. But the, um, you know, Donald Trump has given the Republican Party an, an enormous new opportunity. And the question is, who will groom it, who will lead it, who will nurture it beyond Donald Trump himself? All right, we're going to take a break more with Joel Pollack, more with uh, uh, JustTheNews.com editor-in-chief, John Solomon. We're awaiting the redacted uh, documents uh, that we've been expecting and looking for for some period of time. At some point today, we're also on a 
on a Trump pardon watch. The president, uh, they just the White House just releasing the president's farewell address, and we're going to run that in the next half hour. 800-941-SEAN, if you want to be a part of the program. All right, as we continue, Joel Pollack and John uh, Solomon uh, with us. And uh, all right, so here we are. Now, the president actually came out. I don't know if you guys saw this. And we're going to play in his next hour his um, he just released his address, his farewell address. And uh, we'll play that for you. Some interesting lines I'm reading about now. Now, as I prepare to hand power over to a new administration at noon on Wednesday, I want you to know that the movement we started is only just beginning. How do you interpret that, John Solomon? Well, I, I interpreted that he intends to stay on the political scene and be an extraordinary force and, and maybe triangulate Washington, right? You could have the establishment Republicans, the Trump Republicans, and the Democrats in a triangulated situation. That's a scenario that a lot of the political experts I've been talking to the last couple of weeks can imagine. And uh, I think Donald Trump, with that much loyalty among 70, 80 million voters, has a lot of options. And I, I, the first thing I would look for is to see if he starts a political action committee. That will give us a sign that he's going to stay in the game. How do you interpret it, Joel Pollack? It's interesting. I think he wants to stand with his supporters. He wants to advocate for his policies. And it's also an outcome of the reality that he may face an impeachment trial in the Senate. We don't know if they're actually going to hold that trial, but the White House is certainly preparing for it. And I think one of his defense strategies will be to argue that the article of impeachment, which, by the way, is deeply flawed, it suggest a cause-and-effect relationship between the speech and the riot when the riot started before the speech. And there's a new article out in the Washington Post that the people who launched the riot had been planning to do so for days. So it wasn't Trump's speech that incited them to do what they did. Well, Mitch McConnell apparently is siding with the Democrats on this. What did you make of that? Which is why, you know what, I think Mitch's time as a leader's come and gone. Yeah, and look, he's going to play the spotlight for a while. Mitch McConnell may be trying to use his quickly dwindling leverage to extract some concessions out of Democrats or maybe even out of the White House as Trump departs. But I think Trump knows he's going to be in the spotlight for quite some time, and he's going to portray this entire impeachment as a political exercise. You heard Chuck Schumer just today saying Trump can never be allowed to hold political office ever again. That's why the Democrats are doing this. There's no reason to impeach a president who's out of office, especially on such a flimsy basis. Nobody likes the fact that the Capitol riot happened, and there are people on the conservative side, even Trump supporters, who disagreed with the challenge to the Electoral College results. But the charge itself in the impeachment article is so flimsy, Chuck Schumer let the cat out of the bag. This is about taking Trump out politically. All right. Uh, Joel Pollack, thank you. Justthenews.com, Editor-in-Chief John Solomon. When we come back, the President's farewell address, and we are on Pardon Watch. More on Hannity tonight at 9. And the President just released his farewell address. We will air it in its entirety. Four years ago, we launched a great national effort to rebuild our country, to renew its spirit, and to restore the allegiance of this government to its citizens. In short, we embarked on a mission to make America great again for all Americans. As I conclude my term as the 45th President of the United States, I stand before you truly proud of what we have achieved together. We did what we came here to do and so much more. This week, we inaugurate a new administration, 
and pray for its success in keeping America safe and prosperous. We extend our best wishes, and we also want them to have luck, a very important word. I'd like to begin by thanking just a few of the amazing people who made our remarkable journey possible. First, let me express my overwhelming gratitude for the love and support of our spectacular First Lady, Melania. Let me also share my deepest appreciation to my daughter, Ivanka, my son-in-law, Jared, and to Baron, Don, Eric, Tiffany, and Lara. You fill my world with light and with joy. I also want to thank Vice President Mike Pence, his wonderful wife, Karen, and the entire Pence family. Thank you as well to my Chief of Staff, Mark Meadows, the dedicated members of the White House staff, and the Cabinet, and all of the incredible people across our administration who poured out their heart and soul to fight for America. I also want to take a moment to thank a truly exceptional group of people, the United States Secret Service. My family and I will forever be in your debt. My profound gratitude as well to everyone in the White House military office, the teams of Marine One and Air Force One, every member of the armed forces, and state and local law enforcement all across our country. Most of all, I want to thank the American people. To serve as your president has been an honor beyond description. Thank you for this extraordinary privilege. And that's what it is, a great privilege and a great honor. We must never forget that while Americans will always have our disagreements, we are a nation of incredible, decent, faithful, and peace-loving citizens who all want our country to thrive and flourish and be very, very successful and good. We are a truly magnificent nation. All Americans were horrified by the assault on our capital. Political violence is an attack on everything we cherish as Americans. It can never be tolerated. Now more than ever, we must unify around our shared values and rise above the partisan rancor and forge our common destiny. Four years ago, I came to Washington as the only true outsider ever to win the presidency. I had not spent my career as a politician, but as a builder looking at open skylines and imagining infinite possibilities. I ran for president because I knew there were towering new summits for America just waiting to be scaled. I knew the potential for our nation was boundless as long as we put America first. So I left behind my former life and stepped into a very difficult arena, but an arena nevertheless with all sorts of potential, if properly done. America had given me so much, and I wanted to give something back. Together with millions of hardworking patriots across this land, we built the greatest political movement in the history of our country. We also built the greatest economy in the history of the world. It was about America first because we all wanted to make America great again. We restored the principle that a nation exists to serve its citizens. Our agenda was not about right or left. It wasn't about Republican or Democrat, but about the good of a nation. And that means the whole nation. With the support and prayers of the American people, we achieved more than anyone thought possible. Nobody thought we could even come close. 
We passed the largest package of tax cuts and reforms in American history. We slashed more job-killing regulations than any administration had ever done before. We fixed our broken trade deals, withdrew from the horrible Trans-Pacific Partnership and the impossible Paris Climate Accord, renegotiated the one-sided South Korea deal, and we replaced NAFTA with the groundbreaking USMCA. That's Mexico and Canada, a deal that's worked out very, very well. Also, and very importantly, we imposed historic and monumental tariffs on China, made a great new deal with China. But before the ink was even dry, we and the whole world got hit with the China virus. Our trade relationship was rapidly changing. Billions and billions of dollars were pouring into the U.S., but the virus forced us to go in a different direction. The whole world suffered, but America outperformed other countries economically because of our incredible economy and the economy that we built. Without the foundations and footings, it wouldn't have worked out this way. We wouldn't have some of the best numbers we've ever had. We also unlocked our energy resources and became the world's number one producer of oil and natural gas by far. Powered by these policies, we built the greatest economy in the history of the world. We reignited America's job creation and achieved record low unemployment for African Americans, Hispanic Americans, Asian Americans, women, almost everyone. Income soared, wages boomed, the American dream was restored, and millions were lifted from poverty in just a few short years. It was a miracle. Stock market set one record after another with 148 stock market highs during this short period of time and boosted the retirements and pensions of hardworking citizens all across our nation. 401ks are at a level they've never been at before. We've never seen numbers like we've seen, and that's before the pandemic and after the pandemic. We rebuilt the American manufacturing base, opened up thousands of new factories, and brought back the beautiful phrase, made in the USA. To make life better for working families, we doubled the child tax credit and signed the largest ever expansion of funding for child care and development. We joined with the private sector to secure commitments to train more than 16 million American workers for the jobs of tomorrow. When our nation was hit with the terrible pandemic, we produced not one, but two vaccines with record-breaking speed, and more will quickly follow. They said it couldn't be done, but we did it. They called it a medical miracle, and that's what they're calling it right now, a medical miracle. Another administration would have taken three, four, five, maybe even up to 10 years to develop a vaccine, we did it in nine months. We grieve for every life lost, and we pledge in their memory to wipe out this horrible pandemic once and for all. When the virus took its brutal toll on the world's economy, we launched the fastest economic recovery our country has ever seen. We passed nearly $4 trillion in economic relief, saved or supported over 50 million jobs, and slashed the unemployment rate in half. 
These are numbers that our country has never seen before. We created choice and transparency in healthcare, stood up to Big Pharma in so many ways, but especially in our effort to get favored nations clauses added, which will give us the lowest prescription drug prices anywhere in the world. We passed VA choice, VA accountability, right to try, and landmark criminal justice reform. We confirmed three new justices of the United States Supreme Court. We appointed nearly 300 federal judges to interpret our Constitution as written. For years, the American people pleaded with Washington to finally secure the nation's borders. I am pleased to say we answered that plea and achieved the most secure border in U.S. history. We have given our brave border agents and heroic ICE officers the tools they need to do their jobs better than they have ever done before and to enforce our laws and keep America safe. We proudly leave the next administration with the strongest and most robust border security measures ever put into place. This includes historic agreements with Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador, along with more than 450 miles of powerful new wall. We restored American strength at home and American leadership abroad. The world respects us again. Please don't lose that respect. We reclaimed our sovereignty by standing up for America at the United Nations and withdrawing from the one-sided global deals that never served our interests. And NATO countries are now paying hundreds of billions of dollars more than when I arrived just a few years ago. It was very unfair. We were paying the cost for the world. Now the world is helping us. And perhaps most importantly of all, with nearly $3 trillion, we fully rebuilt the American military, all made in the USA. We launched the first new branch of the United States Armed Forces in 75 years, the Space Force. And last spring, I stood at Kennedy Space Center in Florida and watched as American astronauts returned to space on American rockets for the first time in many, many years. We revitalized our alliances and rallied the nations of the world to stand up to China like never before. We obliterated the ISIS caliphate and ended the wretched life of its founder and leader, al-Baghdadi. We stood up to the oppressive Iranian regime and killed the world's top terrorist, Iranian butcher Qasem Soleimani. We recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and recognized Israeli sovereignty over the Golan Heights. As a result of our bold diplomacy and principled realism, we achieved a series of historic peace deals in the Middle East. Nobody believed it could happen. The Abraham Accords opened the doors to a future of peace and harmony, not violence and bloodshed. It is the dawn of a new Middle East, and we are bringing our soldiers home. I am especially proud to be the first president in decades who has started no new wars. Above all, we have reasserted the sacred idea that in America, the government answers to the people. Our guiding light, our North Star, our unwavering conviction has been that we are here to serve the noble, everyday citizens of America. Our allegiance is not to the special interests, corporations, or global entities. 
It's to our children, our citizens, and to our nation itself. As President, my top priority, my constant concern, has always been the best interests of American workers and American families. I did not seek the easiest course. By far, it was actually the most difficult. I did not seek the path that would get the least criticism. I took on the tough battles, the hardest fights, the most difficult choices, because that's what you elected me to do. Your needs were my first and last unyielding focus. This, I hope, will be our greatest legacy. Together, we put the American people back in charge of our country. We restored self-government. We restored the idea that in America, no one is forgotten because everyone matters and everyone has a voice. We fought for the principle that every citizen is entitled to equal dignity, equal treatment, and equal rights because we are all made equal by God. Everyone is entitled to be treated All right, with- for stations along the Sean Hannity Show Network, we'll continue our live coverage of our coverage of the president's farewell address just released. Have their voice heard and to have their government listen. You are loyal to your country, and my administration was always loyal to you. We worked to build a country in which every citizen could find a great job and support their wonderful families. We fought for the communities where every American could be safe and schools where every child could learn. We promoted a culture where our laws would be upheld, our heroes honored, our history preserved, and law-abiding citizens are never taken for granted. Americans should take tremendous satisfaction in all that we have achieved together. It's incredible. Now, as I leave the White House, I have been reflecting on the dangers that threaten the priceless inheritance we all share. As the world's most powerful nation, America faces constant threats and challenges from abroad. But the greatest danger we face is a loss of confidence in ourselves, a loss of confidence in our national greatness. A nation is only as strong as its spirit. We are only as dynamic as our pride. We are only as vibrant as the faith that beats in the hearts of our people. No nation can long thrive that loses faith in its own values, history, and heroes. For these are the very sources of our unity and our vitality. What has always allowed America to prevail and triumph over the great challenges of the past has been an unyielding and unashamed conviction in the nobility of our country and its unique purpose in history. We must never lose this conviction. We must never forsake our belief in America. The key to national greatness lies in sustaining and instilling our shared national identity. That means focusing on what we have in common, the heritage that we all share. At the center of this heritage is also a robust belief in free expression, free speech, and open debate. Only if we forget who we are and how we got here could we ever allow political censorship and blacklisting to take place in America. It's not even thinkable. Shutting down free and open debate violates our core values and most enduring traditions. In America, we don't insist on absolute conformity or enforce rigid orthodoxies and punitive speech codes. We just don't do that. America is not a timid nation. 
of tame souls who need to be sheltered and protected from those with whom we disagree. That's not who we are. It will never be who we are. For nearly 250 years, in the face of every challenge, Americans have always summoned our unmatched courage, confidence, and fierce independence. These are the miraculous traits that once led millions of everyday citizens to set out across a wild continent and carve out a new life in the Great West. It was the same profound love of our God-given freedom that willed our soldiers into battle and our astronauts into space. As I think back on the past four years, one image rises in my mind above all others. Whenever I traveled all along the motorcade route, there were thousands and thousands of people. They came out with their families so that they could stand as we passed and proudly wave our great American flag. It never failed to deeply move me. I knew that they did not just come out to show their support of me. They came out to show me their support and love for our country. This is a republic of proud citizens who are united by our common conviction that America is the greatest nation in all of history. We are and must always be a land of hope, of light, and of glory to all the world. This is the precious inheritance that we must safeguard at every single turn. For the past four years, I have worked to do just that. From a great hall of Muslim leaders in Riyadh to a great square of Polish people in Warsaw, from the floor of the Korean Assembly to the podium at the United Nations General Assembly, and from the Forbidden City in Beijing to the shadow of Mount Rushmore, I fought for you, I fought for your family, I fought for our country. Above all, I fought for America and all it stands for, and that is safe, strong, proud, and free. Now, as I prepare to hand power over to a new administration at noon on Wednesday, I want you to know that the movement we started is only just beginning. There's never been anything like it. The belief that a nation must serve its citizens will not dwindle, but instead only grow stronger by the day. As long as the American people hold in their hearts deep and devoted love of country, then there is nothing that this nation cannot achieve. Our communities will flourish. Our people will be prosperous. Our traditions will be cherished. Our faith will be strong. And our future will be brighter than ever before. I go from this majestic place with a loyal and joyful heart, an optimistic spirit, and a supreme confidence that for our country and for our children, the best is yet to come. Thank you and farewell. God bless you. God bless the United States of America. The president in total, his uh, farewell address just released by the White House. Um, and, you know, it's just a fascinating time for the country. And yet, you know, still, uh, what are Democrats? Where are their focus? How are you going to impeach him? Let's have a post-presidency impeachment. And as I've said, Mitch McConnell ought not go along with his unconstitutional post-presidency impeachment shift show. And it's not that hard. Republicans don't partake of it. Uh, I guess Mitt Romney will and probably Lisa Murkowski and maybe even Ben Sass. Um, but short of that, 
no Republican should be there. The president shouldn't even send lawyers in. And when it comes time to acquit, you can all go in and say, can we get back to the business of the people? Just unbelievable. And Mitch, you know, this is, you know, now that he's taken his position, okay, then he's been around too long. Time for a new leadership. It's really simple. All right, news roundup information overload hour. Sean Hannity Show, 800-941-SEAN, if you want to be a part of the program. If you're just getting your day started uh, with us, well, this is now the new mantra. This is now the new talking point. This is this is a serious moment. We have to silence conservatives. We have to, on social media, including the president, he can't write a book. Publishers and writers, they don't believe and I, we, I actually had our, my team check today. You can get Mein Kampf and the Communist Manifesto on Amazon.com. You know, you still have the radical Ayatollahs threatening to destroy Israel on Twitter. It's pretty amazing. Uh, and on top of all of that, uh, we, we may have to remove Senator Hawley and Senator Cruz when used the 14th Amendment because they wanted a 10-day audit which many Democrats wanted in 2016, 17, 2001, 2000, and 2004, just more recently. Uh, one Democrat, Andrew Yang, demanding that the government have regulators, that if one point of view is given, they will have a monitor to put the other point of view on. Musicians being dropped from labels, uh, even though they didn't even go to the Capitol, not one time. You know, it's the beginning of a purging. And now, of course, it all started with the PBS lawyer caught on tape that we've got to empower the Department of Homeland Security to take children away from their parents. And then when we take them away, we'll send them to re-education camps where they'll watch PBS all day. Played that many times. MSDNC, Washington Post columnist, wondering how many millions of mostly white Republicans uh, voters could be deprogrammed. Katie Couric says the same thing. And uh, yes, we need to be repro deprogrammed, put in re-education camps, all because we have a different political opinion. You have this headline, cult expert, fake news CNN, uh, was on this morning uh, that all of America needs deprogramming after Trump. By the way, the guy apparently was locked into a cult for years. I guess he would know. Uh, then you've got The View. Then you've got... Uh, MSDNC, uh, Eugene Robertson. Let's play them all. There are millions of Americans, uh, almost all white, almost all Republicans, who somehow need to be deprogrammed. They're, it, it, it's as if they, 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 they're members of a cult, the Trumpist cult, uh, and, and who have to be deprogrammed. For those people that we just showed in the U.S. Capitol, how do you begin to deprogram them? So that's what I do for a living, and family members contact me, and I've written books, I've done videotapes, I've done courses to educate the family, because it's the family, friends, and former members that once we educate them, we coach them on how to interact. It's really bizarre, isn't it, when you think about how AWOL so many of these members of Congress have gotten, but I also think some of them are believing the garbage that they are being fed. 24-7 on the internet by their constituents and yeah. they bought into this big lie and the question is how are we going to really almost deprogram these people who have signed up 
for the cult of Trump. But his defense, I think, that is going to be, well, this is a witch hunt. This is a witch hunt against me. So, of course, I have to try to, uh, you know, pardon myself because everyone's out against, against me. And guess what? 74 million people are going to believe that because they've been brainwashed, Joy. I really believe that they have right. been brainwashed by this misinformation campaign over the past four years. Mm-hmm. Our friend Austin Goolsby, professor at Chicago's Booth School of Economics, chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors for the Obama administration. You're not going to help Biden out, are you? You're going to work for him? <laughs> God help us. Here we go again. Disaster economy 2.0. What's going on? Hey, how are you, Sean? I thought you, you were th- calling me to take <laughs> responsibility for the money you owe me, the dinner you owe me. I already, I already bought you and your and wife so, dinner with expensive wine. What are you talking about? Yeah, that was in 2012. Now, in 2020, we bet oh, on the no. election. As I think tomorrow, you're right. You owe me again. <laughs> you can't get enough. Man, oh, man. Well, I made good on my last bet. I'll make good yeah, on this Yeah, you did. Yeah, I you will did. make good. All right. Now, do you, th- do you think I need a re-education camp or to be deprogrammed? What do you think? You you might. I don't know. I've known you a long time. You, I've, I've been wondering where, where your head was. But, uh, My head's right here where it always is. I'm, I'm, I am volunteer. I volunteer. I'll, I'll lead you through. I'll lead you back to the promised land, Sean. Okay. Now, be honest. This, this whole re-education, look at the cult of Obama. Can we be honest here? I get a thrill up and down my leg every time he speaks. I actually coined the term at the time an Obamagasm uh, because of the media fawning all over him. Now, now they're fawning over, and you got to admit, Joe looks weak, frail, and uh, cognitively struggling. Wouldn't you admit that, Austin Goose? No, I think he looks pretty good. He's you always, so? you know, spoken his mind and uh-huh. sometimes puts his foot in it. I don't think sometimes there's anything different. Almost now every time, you mean. I hope we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men and women are created equal, uh, endowed by their you the thing you oh you know the thing that that sounds look I would like I say very I, alert I work closely with him in the White House and he 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 four years ago on his mind at every moment and sometimes you know he's he slips up and makes flubs. Wait, wait, but you were you were there back twelve years ago. You were at the beginning of the Obama administration. You didn't stay in that swamp, that sewer, very long. Yeah, I was there almost three years. Yeah, okay, so you and really didn't like, see him much in the last my, in the last ten years, did you? You go and you come back. What, what, what in the last? You've only I seen, hear seen him much in the last ten years. No, I haven't. Seen, I see him every once in a while. Yeah, every once in a while, I know somebody that talked to him, and you know what they told me. He kept what? calling them by the wrong name five times. No, no. Look. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. The thing is, you remember, you remember what I tell you. You've been living high on the hog. You've been going to state dinners, the whole thing. It's back to meatloaf with I, the but, rest I, of us. I hate to tell you, I and, never went to any state dinner. I've never oh, been on Air it? Force One with. Wait a minute. I've never been you on Air Force have. One with President Trump oh, once. Man. I don't think time. you're going to get invited with President Biden. Listen, I had the you last interview with Bush when he left. I, I'm in the Oval Office with Bush 43, and I'm like, I don't think I'm going to be invited back here for a while. And that was an understatement. <laughs> but you remember what I told you? you? You said you were afraid that the Obama administration was going to try to go after your taxes or throw you in jail. And you said, would I save you? 
And you remember what I said? I said, no, I wouldn't. But I would come visit you in jail. I will you bring, a, bring, will you bring a file in the case? All right. Now, you got to be, let's be real here for a second. We're friends, and I don't really care that you're a liberal. I actually like you, and I can't believe your wife stays with you. I really can't. Um, <laughs> but the point is, because she's a lovely woman, and I mean that sincerely. She's a nice person. And you are, too. But the point is here, they want to deprogram people because you're conservative and you support Donald Trump. What's Donald Trump's real agenda? Let's go through this quickly. Donald Trump believes in America first, lower taxes, less bureaucracy, secure borders. He wants originalists on the court. All they've told us all before he got elected. He wants energy independence. He wants free and fair trade deals. He got them all. He wants peace through strength. Um, and he doesn't want to be bogged down in these, you know, protracted wars around the world. Now that's I don't know. Much... You're you're putting you're trying to put. No, no, no. Tell me, tell me where I'm wrong. On his agenda. Tell me, I tell think... me what he what part of that. Okay, not here, true. here's where I here's where I think that's that's partly wrong. I think that I've never met Donald Trump. My observation is that he doesn't want America first. He wants Donald Trump first. And I okay, think but that, that but that belies his accomplishments. Kind of it, a Austin. Hang on a second. Now listen. The guy cut taxes. The guy did, did more taxes. to cut the bureaucracy. He built four hundred and fifty miles of wall. He put the people on his list on the court. He got trade deals that nobody thought we'd ever be able to uh, get. Tra- he, he kept he us out of any foreign conflict, and he built up our military. So and he, he mismanaged the coronavirus, and 400,000 people are dead. Oh, you and want that, to blame Trump why, for coronavirus? That's why he lost. He never, I don't blame him for the coronavirus. I blame him for his reaction to the coronavirus. And what were the Democrats doing when he put the travel ban that was racist and xenophobic in place? What were they doing? Do you remember? I do. Some of them were saying, oh, you shouldn't have this. And they were, no, they were impeaching him. I said, and I, and well, you and I had that conversation. I said that first step, President Trump deserved credit for moving sooner than many other countries did. But he had one good step, and then his next five steps were right in the dog do. I mean, it was excuse just like me. I was here another. in March and April in New York of last year. I was right in the middle of this this shift shop, yeah. and I'm telling you right now that if it wasn't for Donald Trump, uh, there would have been no no PPE. There would have been no ventilators. There wouldn't have been any support whatsoever. He built more hospital beds for New York, and meanwhile, instead of using the, the 3,000 beds at the Javits Center, they left 75% of them empty. Instead of using the, the Navy hospital ship that he converted to coro- for corona patients, instead of, they, they sent people back to nursing homes, and they died. Yeah, I didn't understand that. Uh, look, for sure, they're, they're, it's not like Donald Trump is the only person who made mistakes. I think that's clear de Blasio or, or if it was the governor or what. I don't know how they made some of the decisions. Look, I'm, I'm not even the, saying they did it purposely. When Trump was saying, no, it's going to magically go away, We're, it's, gonna, it's nothing, we have eight cases, it'll soon be zero, Listen, that but wait, but in fairness here, did, did Fauci Michigan? Well, hang on a, a second. That was did a anybody, mistake. did any of our so-called experts or scientists, didn't they all screw up? And I'm not faulting them. I like Fauci. I don't think Fauci, you know, he goes to work every day. It's not his intention, but he was back and forth on masks. He was back and forth on everything. 
And I'm and at no point did they ever did any of the medical experts, any of the predictions ever pan out, Austin. And with all due respect, uh, the Democrats, uh, they weren't engaged in any of this. And Trump was the one that built the hospital, secured the VP, PPE, got the ventilators, got the vaccine. So. I mean, I he, do. It was it was Trump. The reason why I think Trump lost the election is precisely because it ended up being a roll call vote. Do you think that Donald Trump has managed this crisis well? And I think the reason he's never gotten majority support in the polls or at the ballot is because they don't think he did. He he messed up. And and it's it's one thing to mess up and then say We've learned new information, and I'm sorry I messed up, and I'm going to do better. But he's got a kind of a congenital thing that he can never admit anything was a mistake, everything was perfect, even if he obviously screwed it up. And I think that cost him. That's what I think he does. Well, look it at that. It's, like listen, he gets that. the economy was humming along. We can do, but I want to go back to this initial question: Do I need yeah. deprogramming? Do you I, think you I might. need to go? Do I, I need know. to go I to an Austin? You. Austin Goolsby re-education camp. I'm just trying to think, what would our curriculum be? Where would we even begin? I, we, we could start with football. I mean, aren't you, what, you, aren't you a Jets fan, a Giants? Who do you like? Don't, don't even, don't, don't, listen, don't embed. Why are you humiliating me? Go ahead. <laughs> I know, the Bears are in trouble, too. You, do you want to live in an America where we silence opposition voices? Because I don't, you know, if you read any social media and you read about Sean Hannity, your friend, um, I've been, you know, when I want to punish myself and, and just, you know, feel bad about myself, I could go on there and read all the crap all day. Um, <laughs> but, but I don't. I don't waste my time. But the point is, I, not one time, Austin, in my life would I ever want to silence anybody from, from ripping me to shreds. I don't care. I, that, we live in America. That's the way it should be. And, and it should you know, be open. Look, I, I do think how we balance the line, there's, there's always a balance. If the president of the United States is going to literally get up and say flatly contradicted non-facts and gin people up, what do we do about that? Excuse. All right. Now, let me go back to that day, because you're talking about January 6th. The president said, now, many of you will peacefully and patriotically march to the Capitol to let your voices be heard. Can you cite me anything in the president's speech that called for an insurrection? I don't think so. I wasn't paying close attention to his speech. In the run-up to that day, the president said a lot of very inflammatory things. I didn't and ask you. Slow down. Slow down. Part. No, no. Words no, okay. matter here, because I could play yeah. you Maxine Waters, Joe Biden. As a matter of fact, I'm going to play them for you. And Kamala Harris. And then you tell me if they're inciting any kind of, quote, insurrection. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to help educate the fine professor at Chicago's Booth School of Economics. And with all this talk about oh, the incendiary and, and insurrection rhetoric of the of the president, let's take a little trip down memory lane and let's see how intellectually honest Austin Goolsby is. Because on the other side, I'm going to ask him a very obvious question. Are you ready for our little game, Austin? All right. 
we go. Okay, I'm... here we go. We're gonna play. We're gonna play the ever weak, frail, and cognitively struggling Joe. We'll play Kamala. We'll play Chucky Schumer, and we'll we'll play Maxine Waters and Pelosi just for fun, just to get started. I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind, and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. The press always asks me, don't I wish I were debating him? No, I wish you were in high school. I could take him behind the gym. That's what I wish. I made a mis- I didn't make a mistake, but they asked me, would I like to debate this gentleman? And I said, no. I said, if we were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. You see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome. I am sitting here listening, watching, absorbing, thinking about Ali, even though I never met him. And with this kind of inspiration, I will go and take Trump out tonight. But they're not going to stop. They're not going to stop. And that's, they're not, this is a movement. I'm telling you, they're not going to stop. And, and everyone beware because they're not going to stop it is going they're not going to stop before election day in november and they're not going to stop after election day and that should be everyone should take note of that on both levels that this isn't they're not going to let up and they should not and we should not i know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard words matter now let me ask you a question austin goolsby I would never do this, but let's just play a little game here. If I said about Joe or any liberal justice on the Supreme Court that they're going to pay a price and they're not going to know what hit them, is that insurrection? If I talked about beating the hell out of Joe Biden, is that insurrection? Uh, If I said, I'm going to take Trump out tonight, if I said that about any Democrat or right after the riots in Minneapolis, they're not going to stop. They shouldn't stop. We shouldn't stop. Beware. You better take note. Would that be viewed as inciting insurrection? Intellectual honesty moment. It would definitely be viewed as inflammatory. And I'd say those statements were inflammatory. If you said that, the reality is, if you said that, and then the group who you said it to turned around and went and smashed the windows and threatened to kill major leaders, then they would come after you and say you incited the crowd. If you said those inflammatory things, but there was no immediate reaction of the people you were saying it to, then it would probably just be forgotten, which it sounds like a lot of those ones are just forgotten. I could take you back and I can quote you chapter and verse. And, you know, I do my research of every Democrat in 2000, 2001, uh, 2004 and five, 2016 and 17 that actually challenged the election results. They'd all be names that, you know, starting with Barbara Boxer, Joe Biden, uh, Sheila Jackson Lee, Alcee Hastings, Reverend Jackson, and on and on and on. You want me to, would you like me to play well, them? I mean, you, you, you recall that they were, in every case, 
totally overruled by their own party. In the case of John Kerry... But they challenged they electors. Objected. They tried to challenge the thing, and the Democrats overruled their own party to shut that down. So I do kind of think the the argument that the Republican Party has to be convinced to shut down its own radical fringe who's espousing kind of crazy electoral views is a bit of an... Listen, I stayed very focused on the law and and our Constitution and state constitutions. I talked about Wisconsin... I bet you don't even know this, Austin. I'll help educate you again. I bet you don't know that Wisconsin law does not allow for early voting. Same with Michigan. Did you know that? I, I don't follow their constitutions. So okay. Now, there. did you know that Pennsylvania so Constitution does not voting? allow the Pennsylvania state constitution does not allow for early voting except in rare circumstances, and that was literally circumvented by another branch of their government, their legislature. But, I mean, this is a pretty rare circumstance. Well, it just, I'm just telling you what happened. I think it's a legitimate constitutional issue in the state of Georgia. The Secretary of State, uh, without consulting the Republican Secretary of State, that's well. If you, yeah, okay, he'll be supporting Stacey Abrams any day now. Uh, but anyways, but but in fairness, he signed a consent decree after being sued by the Democratic Party of Georgia, the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee, and, and congressional committees, and he created what is a two-tier system of signature verification now i would argue if you look at bush v gore that that would be unconstitutional um in my humble opinion is that a fair analysis on my part or am i a looney tune that needs to be deprogrammed well that's that's closer to looney tune (laughs) than constitutional expertise but i don't know if you need a deprogramming but look the thing is Joe Biden won the election by more than seven million votes. He's going to be inaugurated tomorrow. Relax. I mean, we don't multiple layers of conspiracy and the number of votes don't matter. Not just Arizona. We have an electoral college. We have an electoral college system. You know that. Let's not go to the electoral college. He won more than three hundred electoral votes, and even if you discovered hundreds of thousands of additional votes for Trump in Georgia, uh, that wouldn't make Donald Trump. I just mentioned four states to you. I didn't mention just Georgia. You need all of those states. That's my point. There's no evidence. Okay. And and by the way, as Democrats have done in the past, hang on, as Democrats have done in the past, so did Republicans challenge on the, on, on a variety of issues. And guess what? They didn't win. And now Joe Biden is going to be president. Now, we do have a problem in the <laughs> country in as much as eight. Hang on. Me, but OK, continue. I told you I pay back. I'll pay on the debt. <laughs> I, t- I you know, I make good on my debts. Um, a Hannity always pays his debts. It's bet. True. It's a bet. It wasn't a debt. I didn't borrow money. God forbid <laughs> if I need to borrow now. money from. It's a I, debt. I, I know that the usury rate would be what? a Forty percent. Um By the way, guess what? I bet you're happy that uh, Joe's going to be raising taxes and open borders. And well, now we're not going to. I'm taxes are the price of civilization. Oh, yeah. We shouldn't have cut taxes by two trillion dollars. All right. We've had that argument. My next question is, do you support the Green New Deal, a government that squandered Social Security savings 
a government that squandered uh, uh, Medicare, a government that can't keep a law in order in your home city of Chicago, uh, safety and security, one that promised everyone would keep their plan, keep their doctors and save le- uh, money. None of those promises were fulfilled, as I predicted. You know, I know you're upset that your guy lost. I no, I'm asking, do you think this? Do you think the Green New Deal is good upset, for America? But I, I, can, I can give you good foods. When, at our dinner, I will take you for some good food, and it will make you feel better. Um, All right. So my question, though, is simple. Do you really think government can provide a guaranteed job, guaranteed wage, government guaranteed healthy food? Uh, We're going to have government education, pre pre K education, free college education, student loan forgiveness, uh, Medicare for all guaranteed retirement. Do you think we'll ever be able to name the one socialist country that where that worked? Yeah, I, look, I don't think we can do all of those things and, and all simultaneously and that the government can do the, do them all well. But individual components of that, I think, not only can they, it's really quite important that the government try to increase the educational attainment of people. And all the other rich countries are doing it, and that we try to expand to universal Healthcare, so that when we have crises like this COVID crisis and millions of people lose their jobs, that doesn't mean they also lose their health insurance right in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, that's that system is. Listen, these are extraordinary times and circumstances. I don't support that at all. I mean, and and by the way, I can tell you that a lot of accommodations were made for a lot of people, and I even supported more government spending than I normally would to help out workers that were displaced yeah. and, and put out of the, the job market. Listen, yeah. we, we save every other country in the world, Austin. I mean, when our when our family, American family, is hurting, we got to take care of them. I'm yeah, not disagreeing. That. That's fair. See? That's fair. And it was Trump that wanted $2,000 uh, in, in, you know, it was Republicans like McConnell that opposed it. That is kind of funny, uh, ironic, but that is true. Um, so what are you saying? I really say am going to miss Trump. I bet you're going to miss him. I'm not, I'm not going to miss him at all. you got to be kidding. You're, the, you're going to have to start what? having me on more frequently, though, because now you, you're going to be mad. i got to find somebody that will defend this. Non- from the Biden administration is going to come on and talk to you. Why like is that? Days. I mean, can you make a couple of calls and, you know, speak out <laughs> on my behalf and tell him, you know, he's really a good guy, this Hannity, and see if they're stupid enough to come on and put up with this? <laughs> I'll try. All right. Listen, you're a good man. I will pay off my bet, but it's still not officially over till tomorrow. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. One day. You live it up for one day, and then I'm coming for you. I think that's an appropriate ending. The Democrats are coming for us. Hold on to your wallet. Socialism. uh, Listen, this is chilling times, man. Oh, God help us. All right, sir. God bless you and your family. God bless you. You're a good man. Uh, Patty in Mississippi. What's up, Patty? How are you? I'm good. I said I haven't called you in a while because, to be perfectly honest, I was tired of talking to a wall. But these comments by Mitch McConnell have put me over the edge today. And I'm hoping that maybe after all this time and after all these years, that maybe you will understand what I've been trying to tell you. That no, I think you're uh, I never really disagreed. If you think I didn't understand that we're dealing with an establishment wing of the Republican Party, I, I, I don't I think you know me better than that. 
and they didn't like the Tea Party. If you if you want to go back in history, oh, yeah. the Tea Party. Then no one ever went again. No one ever took uh, uh, Lois Lerner got away with it. You know, with yep. the IRS, you know, targeting people. And, and who who didn't help us? The Republicans. I was with you there too. And, By the way, he you, was for Ford versus Reagan for crying out loud. Well, I mean, and that's the thing. Why are we Why are we putting up with it? Why you know Why are we doing it? Why do we keep doing the same thing over and over again when it's getting us nowhere? Where's the Where's the uh, Durham report? Where's you know Where's anyone getting you know held accountable for anything? That's Patty, the I don't and, think you know, there's and, anyone and, that has pushed on a serious level any harder than I could than I have on these issues. I've been, I've, it's well, blood, sweat, and tears you need, you every need day. Band, and I, Lindsay, Lindsay Graham from the show or something, you know, and, and have a little chat to figure out who you can talk to. Listen, to, I'm going to tell you get, right now, and Rand Paul, who lives in the state of Kentucky, said it well. I don't think the Republican Party survives if Mitch McConnell, that's the direction he's going to take. And that's it, plain and simple. You know, Reagan once said that it is, you know, is it a, is it a third party we need or is it a revitalized second party? And he said it's a second party uh, revitalized with no pale pastels, but bold color differences. Now the Republican Party's at a crossroads. Either they're going to, if the establishment thinks that America first is going away, that the, the Trump agenda of lower taxes and fighting and winning on issues they say they're going to fight and win on, again, in the political arena, then there's nobody that's going to support them. And Mitch McConnell well, we will... Go ahead. Well, we I think it's time for him to go. Against, that's my answer. We need to come out just as heavily against these establishment people as we are the, the Democrats, because they are, no, they are not helping us. And they're actually... You want to talk about... the That's the only bipartisan thing in, in Washington is this collusion in, in the establishment of both sides. They are, the establishment, they are not listen, helping us. They're not only helping us, they sabotage us. That's going to wrap things up for today. Hannity, 9 Eastern tonight, the president's farewell address, the issue of whether or not Mitch McConnell should remain as majority leader. We're on pardon watch. We have Dan Bongino, Judge Pirro, Senator Graham, Joe Concha, Mike Huckabee, Jason Chaffetz, Ari Fleischer. News you won't get from the mob. Hope you say DVR, 9 Eastern on the Fox News Channel. We'll see you then. Be back here tomorrow. As always, thank you for being with us.